Would you pray with me? <coughs> Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Cultivating joy. The words joy, happiness, pleasure, they're often used interchangeably. In the online dictionary for Merriam-Webster, it defines happiness as joy or a pleasurable experience. It's something that we all seek, and although we are naturally driven to find it, there are sometimes differences between those things that bring us the short-term pleasure at the cost of long-term suffering, and vice versa, things that are uncomfortable in the near term, but deeply gratifying in the long term. For example, Illicit drug use and excessive alcohol consumption can bring some people a short-term happiness. But the long-term consequences can be devastating, of course we know. The immediate pleasure experienced by forgetting the difficulties of life or the euphoria produced by the chemicals affecting the brain may make a person feel better for a moment. But there's always some side effect. The side effects can be physical, like a hangover, mental, like the psychological dependency that might be developed where you might believe that you can't be capable of being happy without the availability of that dependent drug or alcohol. Or it can be social, as in the damage that's done to relationships with friends and family. In the end, there is no long-term satisfaction or contentment with those things. On the other hand, there are things that we may not particularly like to do in the short term, like repetitive exercise, but they do bring us joy in the long term because they prepare us for future accomplishments that are gratifying. I heard one person uh, talking to a professional golfer was saying that they would give anything if they could play like that pro. The professional golfer replied, really? Anything? Many golfers could play as like a pro if they really only practiced enough. According to the Pro Tour Golf College, the average golfer would need to practice a minimum of 1,728 hours a year in order to become a pro. It's equivalent to playing golf six hours a day, six days a week, for 48 weeks of the year, even on the days you don't really feel like it. This is the kind of situation where short-term unhappiness can still result in deep joy in the long run. The balance between short-term pleasure, which I'll refer to as happiness, and long-term satisfaction, which I'll call joy, takes discipline and can be hard to find. In the parable from the Gospel of Luke this morning, we find a wealthy man who's condemned because he devoted his life to personal pleasures which gave him happiness in his earthly life but resulted in great death, suffering after his death. The problem is not that he was rich, but he failed to offer compassionate assistance to someone who was suffering right outside his gate. Although we don't know the rich man's name, we're told the poor man's name was Lazarus. Now, no, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. This is a different person named Lazarus. 
Lazarus languished outside the rich man's gate, suffering from starvation and having sores on his body. And he suffered from the humiliation of having those sores licked by the dogs. When Lazarus died, he was carried by angels to be with Abraham in heaven. But when the nameless rich man died, he was sent to the underworld, referred to in Greek as Hades, or in Hebrew as Sheol. In the midst of his suffering, the rich man asked Abraham. He cried out to Abraham to send Lazarus in order to help him ease his suffering. Abraham reminded the rich man how he lived a privileged life when he walked the earth, while Lazarus suffered terribly right next to him, but never was receiving any help from him. But now the circumstances were reversed, and the distance between the two of them was too great for Lazarus to even cross, even if he wanted to. The rich man seemed to accept Abraham's response, but wanted a special message sent to his brothers who were still alive. He wanted to warn his brothers to avoid the pitfalls of greed and selfishness so they wouldn't end up in the same underworld where he is. But Abraham told him that his brothers already had the teachings of Moses and the prophets. The brothers wouldn't listen to Moses and the prophets. They wouldn't even listen to someone who had come back from the dead. Although some might be tempted to consider that this is a lesson that teaches that humanity must suffer at some point in their time, whether it's in this life or the next. I would disagree with that. That's not the point. I think the lesson Jesus is trying to convey in this story is a message of compassion and an encouragement to sacrifice personal short-term pleasures so that others can find relief from their suffering. Through a compassionate lifestyle, we'll be building our relationship with others and with God, which will ultimately give us great and deep joy in the long term. The sacrifices that we make by choosing to use our time, talents, and financial resources in ways that enable others to make the same basic reasonable standards of living that we have serve as investments in our relationship with God. What's a reasonable standard of living? It's the same standard of living that you would expect for your own children or your own parents or your sisters or your brothers or yourself. It's loving others as you would like to be loved. It's easy to point to the long-term goal of experiencing heavenly joy, but the path to that goal is, can be quite difficult. This is why the Apostle Paul encouraged his protege, Timothy, to press onward in his faith journey using the metaphor of a race or a fight. Paul's words suggest Timothy dealt with the same kinds of challenges that we deal with today. Just as we contend with various lifestyle philosophies that intertwine and sometimes contradict the teachings of Jesus, Timothy was likely experiencing the same kinds of problems. In our first scripture reading this morning from Paul's letter to Timothy, it starts with the statement that there is great gain in godliness with, combined with contentment. Actually, the Greek word which is interpreted as contentment was a word commonly used by the competing Greek philosophers, the Stoics and the Cynics. And it also meant self-sufficiency. 
It characterized an attitude that focused on simplicity and a life lived in acceptance of the hand a person had been dealt. Although there were elements of Greek culture that contradicted Christian teachings, such as the worshiping of many gods, there were also parts that fit well within Christianity. This focus on simplicity that was something that the Christians would also believe in. We brought nothing, we brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing with us when we leave. So we are to be content with the lifestyle that meets our basic needs. Similarly, there are personal philosophies in our world today that help elements of both that both contradict and support Christian teachings. For example, the emphasis on personal freedoms in our culture help foster an egalitarian mindset where nobody is expected to be worshipped or allowed to commit crimes with impunity. This is consistent with the Christian message that we are all born with the image of God and deserve equal respect and compassion. However, the highly individualistic perspective that sometimes follows from an emphasis on personal freedoms can encourage an attitude of greed or unfettered capitalism, which is allowed to wreak havoc in our communities. In this situation, people are motivated by competition rather than cooperation, and the quest for wealth becomes the philosophical focus. Paul cautions Timothy about this attitude. Paul warns him, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Again, the criticism and the message is related to the love of money rather than the state of being wealthy. Simply being wealthy is not a sin. But problems arise when a person devotes their life to acquiring and hoarding wealth. When we use our advantages to support the kinds of activities that reveal the kingdom of heaven here on earth, we grow closer to God. In some of Paul's other letters, he expressed gratitude for the wealthy people in his life, such as the merchant, Lydia. She gave her resources to support him and others who were in need in his time. Paul didn't warn Timothy to avoid affluent or wealthy people. He warned Timothy to shun the pursuit of money. Consequently, you might say Paul would not be supportive of prosperity theology, or what some would call prosperity gospel beliefs. Proponents of the prosperity gospel believe that seeking godliness is a means of achieving wealth. By being good Christians, they believe that they will be rewarded with greater wealth and physical well-being. Conversely, people who are not able to increase their wealth must be presumed to be not so good Christians. This belief system contradicts Paul's message to Timothy in this letter that we read today, because ultimately proponents of the prosperity gospel are really seeking greater wealth. They're simply trying to use God as a means of acquiring their wealth, which is really their true goal. Instead, 
Paul encourages Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. These are the means of growing closer to God, which cultivate real joy. There are times when these pursuits will be difficult, but the effort will be worthwhile. Doing the right thing in the moment may not particularly be pleasurable. Following the path you believe has called you to will have unexpected challenges. Maintaining and living in faith can take a great deal of energy. Loving someone who behaves like an enemy to you is difficult and draining. And remaining calm and gentle in hostile environments requires self-control. These situations call for the kind of endurance that you might expect from an athlete, hence the metaphor to fight the good fight. But don't assume we're expected to struggle always. We're not called to be ascetics or where we try to avoid personal pleasure. Life should have moments of fun as well. But when faced with a challenge, Paul encourages the disciples of Christ to remember the price, the promises they made within the church to each other and to God. Remain disciplined as Jesus did when confronted with the penalty of crucifixion by Pilate. And remember that Christ is now with you because of his faithfulness and strength in his moment of challenge. And if you fail to follow through as you think you should, Remember that we still have the opportunity to repent and return to Christ through the gift of salvation made possible by Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It is God's desire that we find the gift of joy in our life. In chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, Jesus told his followers, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So I encourage you today to reflect on how you can abide more deeply in the love of Christ Renew your commitment to following the commandments of Christ, and you will inevitably find yourself cultivating more joy in your life. Amen.